This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Well, hey there, everyone. It's Stormy Warren welcoming you on the bus at Country Thunder with executive producer Troy Volhofer. Coming to you from Music City, we can't wait to chat with all of our friends in country music. Get ready for real talk about the state of the music industry, thoughts and insights from some of its biggest stars, and more than a few backstage stories from the six annual Country Thunder events held all across North America. I know I'll be sharing some great stories in a future episode. So buckle up and get ready for your new favorite podcast. Here's Troy. We have a very special guest today. Our good friend Lindsay Al is visiting. And uh, unfortunately, we're not on the bus today. We're, we're <laughs> at, they're at the bar at my house. and uh, But it's a good feeling. Lindsay, what have you been doing during this time? Troy, it is so good to see you. And your bar is beautiful, by the way. <laughs> it's you, like rocking. There's, I'm surrounded by instruments. I've never felt more at home. Um, I, gosh, where do we start? 2020 has been quite the year. Um, the record. The record, yeah. So we had always planned to release my sophomore album in August. And at the beginning of you know, March, I guess, you know, we just had finished playing a show in Berlin. We're on the plane back home. It was when the world was like all kind of falling apart. Everything was like, what's, what's about to happen. And, um, and we were just like, you know what, we should just continue plan as usual. We'll just continue to release the record in August. And then when we get there, if things change, we'll see. I kind of felt bad for some of my friends who had released records right at the beginning because it was kind of the moment where everybody was like, ah, what's happening. But, um, by the time August rolled around, everybody kind of figured it out. You know, we were used to this just digital world, you know, everybody was hopping on zooms left, right and center. And, um, and so, releasing art i i think is even so much more important this year because i think we need music and we need that extra um you know thing to help us feel like there's so much going on in our world right now and and music is just such a beautiful thing that allows us to do that so i poured my heart and soul into this record and as an artist it is kind of heartbreaking to be like we had so many cool things planned for this release and we I was going to like go all over the world and and during street week we were going to do all this stuff and none of it could happen. 
And so it, it was a very good lesson of learning how to pivot and sometimes how we think something needs to happen or it, this is what needs to, this is how the record needs to be released. It just sometimes doesn't work that way. Right. And yet in hindsight, something even more beautiful happens sometimes. And so um, I was very proud to still release the record amidst 2020, amidst a global pandemic. And we were able to do some really cool things. You know, um, I was actually doing press. Like some of my friends would be like, this is great. I'm going on vacation. And I'm like, vacation? I've been putting in 16-hour days. I've been like, because at the beginning of the pandemic, I was still finishing recording the record. And so my producer, Dan Huff, has a studio in his house. I have a studio in my house. I would record things and send him files. He'd work his magic, send them back. So I was finishing recording the record, doing like promo creative, and then releasing it. And we decided about five years ago, I, um, around the release of a single, I decided to do a 24 hour show downtown Nashville. And I, I, was busking on Broadway. And if people don't know who are listening, what busking is, it's where like you stand on the street with your guitar case open and you just stand there and play. Oh, I love that. And originally I was like, you know, I'll, I'll just go downtown and, and, and play for eight hours. And the head of my label, Mr. John Lobo was like, you know, 24 seems like this nice round number that, you know, we, we could talk about. And I was sitting there and I'm like 24 hours. So I did this, um, you know, this, this concert for 24 hours I played on Broadway and I was so exhausted by the end of it, but we were raising money for children's Vanderbilt hospital in Nashville and doing all these cool things. But at the end of that 24 hour show, I was like, that is the last time I am ever doing a 24 hour show again. That was so exhausting. Now, fast forward five years later, we are in the midst of a global pandemic and what do I come up with? But I'm like, I need to do another 24 hour show guys. I need to do another 24 hour show. So we started um, the minute the record went live in Tonga, which is the time zone before New Zealand. It's like oh, the wow. first time zone. And it was very cool because we were able to feature every time zone. We went Tonga to New Zealand, to Australia, to Japan. We went every time zone around the world. And I had guests in each time zone. So in Tonga, we had famous Olympian PETA, who's known for like walking into Olympic Stadium with like his chest all oiled. And he was amazing. And he just wrote this book and he was so ins inspiring. And then we had musicians and actors and chefs. I was like cooking like with the chef in New York and, oh, and wow. it was insane Troy like I was able to really showcase the world and show that we're all navigating through this time together and meanwhile being able to like bring on some really cool guests and have them share their art and their wisdom and it was a magical 24 hours and my band came um and surprised me for the last hour and um and then we played the record top oh, to bottom fantastic. so Releasing a record in the midst of a global pandemic was a big thing, and yet it it was just a really cool time, you know. And and I loved doing a twenty four hour um, live stream event. You know, we had over forty million impressions, and it was just like it was crazy. 
So, Lindsay, those are big numbers, and you seem to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm aware of your international appeal to audiences that are just not in North America, but globally. Yeah. Uh, in Europe, you, but you have spent a lot of time in Europe. You, you, have. you have worked the trenches. Yeah. But let's talk about Europe a little bit. I love touring Europe, and it is definitely a place in the world that it takes investment. You know, I went over there with the band Perry for my first tour, and that was about eight years ago. I just signed my record deal. I was just releasing my first. Were they a country act at that time, or had they changed to pop? They were a country act. And um, and I I had just released my first single to, to country radio, and I was kind of in that time of my life when I was like, I come look out world here I come and and it was my first worldwide tour so we had about like 50 shows in North America and then about 20 over in Europe and um and since then I've been on six different tours over to Europe and it is such a beautiful market the fans like in the UK and in Germany and they're just so wonderful because you know radio over there is a lot more artist focused it's a lot less single focused so over here in north america you know you'll you'll have a lot of fans be like oh i love that song and sometimes they don't even know who sings that song but they love that song and when they see that song live they're like oh my gosh this song's amazing but over in europe i find a lot of fans because radio is a lot more about like they'll hear a song and then they'll go find out who that artist is and listen to your whole discography so by the time they're buying a ticket to go see your show, they know every single song that you are going to play on stage that night, even the B-sides on your record. And so from my first tour with the band Perry, the whole crowd knew my songs. Wow. And at that point, that was really early on in my, for sure, like career after I moved down to Nashville. And I was like, this is crazy. I'm not used to the audience knowing my songs. This is so weird. And, um, and from that point forward, it just grew and grew and grew. And I remember my first headlining tour, um, our first show was at the Borderline in London. It's a venue that isn't open anymore. And yeah. it's just such a special venue. It's like one of those hot, sweaty clubs. It fits about like 400 people or something. And I sold it out. And it was just me and a loop pedal because I couldn't afford to take a band over to right, right. Europe because it's so expensive. And... Um, and so I like start and I had like a laptop set up on stage and I'm like looping all this stuff. And, and, um, and then I start, my first song was waiting on you in my set. And I remember that audience saying the words to my first song in my set so loud that I stepped away from the mic and I was like, this is crazy. Like, this is crazy. The fans wow. in Europe are truly special. Yeah. And so I have loved touring over there a lot, you know, um, being from Canada, living in the States, everything I do has just been viewed at, at least in my brain, from an international perspective from sure. the beginning. And so to me, developing a new market, you know, when you look at an act who's established, like Luke Bryan, for instance, for him to put on a, a show in the States versus putting on that whole show in Europe, that's a big difference in terms of cost. For me, when I started, everything was expensive. It was right. like, well, it's expensive if I do it here. It's expensive <laughs> if I do it there. So I might as well build all these markets at the same time. And that's kind of how I've looked at it from the beginning. And so I've been able to, you know, tour Canada and tour the States, tour Europe and even Australia. I got to go there for my first time just last year. And um, Did you do the festival over there? I did, yeah. How was it? It was Awesome. Like CMC. Oh my gosh, you need to go, Troy. You would absolutely love it. It's, it's again, it's kind of like, um, fans in the UK. They have that dedication to musicians and songwriters and like as a guitar player. I was like, 
it was funny because again, I hired a band in, um, in Australia and I ended up hiring my now music director who has now moved to Nashville. And, um, it's like just crazy how the world works. But at that time I just hired this band from Sydney and, um, and it was the first time I hadn't played two tracks in a long time. Like as musicians, I don't want to get all nerdy for people listening to this podcast because they probably don't care. But, um, but, but a lot of us like play to like these like big orchestras that like make our, our sound sound like so big on stage. But when we went to Sydney, I again was just doing it. Like I was traveling with me in a suitcase and a guitar and making it work. And, um, and it was the first time I hadn't played to tracks in forever. And I like came alive on the stage at CMC. I was like, this is amazing. I feel like I'm superwoman right now. I can do anything because to tracks, your songs are like on this grid and it's like one, two, three, four. And so when you're touring so much, I mean, we tour a lot, not this year, but last year we played 235 shows in a year. We were on the road 280 days. And when you're playing that much, your sets become sort of like a little bit cookie cutter. Like sure. you have like 60 minute sets, you have 75 minute sets, you have 30 minute sets. And I always leave a portion of my set that is a little bit open ended so that as a guitar player, I can go off or I can throw in different songs or whatever. But the, the main portion of your show stays pretty succinct. And I, so I remembered those shows in, in Australia, my first few shows, I just felt I was so free. I'm like, I can play an eight minute guitar solo. I can do this. And the band was so killer that they would just follow me. It's like driving so a fast car. Isn't it, it was it was like driving yeah. like a I've never driven a Lamborghini, but when I can imagine in my mind what that's sitting a, in a, a Lambo would it? feel like. Yeah. And I was like on top of subwoofers, like in my five inch heels, <laughs> playing guitar. And then I was like leaning down on the stage. I'm just like, who who was that? Who just oh, played that awesome. show? But um, but yes, as a very long answer to your question, I love touring internationally and it just it opens up your mind to how small this world really is. You know, you get on a plane and six hours later, you're on the other side of the world and getting to absorb like human beings in different cultures who put their pants on one leg at a time. Maybe they speak a different language, but we're all so similar. And it's just, it's, it's a really eye opening experience, um, touring internationally. I love it so much. It's really an interesting time for country music, uh, from an international standpoint. Um, it, it, it seems like you're, there's a few artists that are really taking the international market seriously. And I think it's Mm -hmm. really great for the whole format. I, my question to you is, did you have a Canadian record deal or did you sign a U.S. deal? What was your first record deal? Was it Canadian or was it a U.S. deal? Good question. So I have been doing this ever since I was a little girl. I mean, I started playing instruments when I was like piano at six, guitar at eight, started playing shows at 10. I met Randy Bachman when I was 13. And Randy became like another dad to me, you know, from Guess Who, BTO. Um, my parents were huge BTO, like guess who fans. And so the first time he came to our house, my mom was like freaking out. Cause she was like, I gotta make sure the house is clean. And she was like running around and Randy pulls up to her house in a stretch limo. And at that point, like I grew up with like in just a regular neighborhood and stuff. And so a stretch limo pulls up to the house and it's like, what is going right out on? Of the movies. What is going on? Yeah. Um, but Randy became like another dad to me growing up and I would go out to Salt Spring Island at the time and, and, um, 
record in the summers when I was off school and my dad would come out with me and we'd just hang out there for a couple weeks and he really taught me how to write, how to record. And Randy was the one who essentially discovered me when I was that young and um, I got offered my first record deal when I was 16. Where did he, where did he find you? Like where did, where did... He found me through a songwriting buddy um, in Alberta. I was playing like all of these little um, festivals and, sure. and you know, county fairs and I mean if a refrigerator door opened I was like there for the grand opening um but (laughs) but but yeah he he met me through a songwriting buddy and um and he got given this demo CD that I made in my like CD-ROM in my computer of like Jan Arden cover songs like Tommy Manuel cover songs and like a few of my things I'd written and he was like this sounds like a young female Chet Atkins I need to I need to meet this girl what a compliment and so um, we just started writing and I just, I, I soaked it up like a sponge. Like Randy would sit there and play all these jazz chords up and down the neck. And I was just like, Randy, what is that? And before then, like I learned how to play guitar going to bluegrass camps with my dad when I was little and Shania was my idol. And I would get mad if my brother changed the radio station away from the country station. I would be like, don't change the radio station. But when I met Randy and saw him play all these crazy chords, he really got me into jazz and blues and rock guitar. Like I knew who Stevie Ray Vaughan was and Hendrix and Clapton, but I didn't really know who they were. And so Randy opened up my brain to a whole new vocabulary. And in my teens, like from 13 to 20, I just dove into that world. Like I, I couldn't even come back from it for a long time. Like we went on tour with Buddy Guy when I was 18. You did? Yeah. We toured wow. Canada with Buddy and he invited me down to Chicago a couple of times. And I, I have all of that to thank from Randy really. Cause he, he opened up, you know, a whole new world of, of music and, and genre. And, um, you know, I think it's why I'm drawn to players like Keith Urban so much now because my playing as a guitar player is far more bluesier yep. than anything else. Yep. And um, and just learning how you can mold those worlds and music is just supposed to be music at the end of the day. It's not supposed to live in these like finite lines of like, this is this, this is this, this is what I like. Like we just know what we like as as, as humans. And so, um, so yeah, another very long answer to your question. I'll just oh, keep I love talking. it though. You know, but I, I got offered a record deal when I was sixteen, thanks to Randy, because he you know introduced me to like guitar companies and a few um, of the music industry in Toronto, a few people, and I have Alan Reed to thank, who now isn't at the at the record label um, that offered me a deal, but he sat me down when I was sixteen years old, being offered my first record deal. I'm like. Now is the time. I'm going to be a rock star, mom and dad. I'm getting a record deal. Like, this is it. And um, Alan's like, Lindsay, you shouldn't sign this deal. And wow. he was the one offering it to me. Wow. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, this is my chance. I'm ready. I have a, we had a record done because I'd been working with Randy on it. And we had artwork done. Like, I still have it. And it never got released on the label officially under this deal because he was like, you shouldn't sign this deal because you are so young and you have the rest of your career ahead of you and you like 
need to explore it. He's like, you have so much time. Like, go write, go to LA, go to New York, go to Nashville. Just it, really find out who you are. Don't sign this deal right now and lock yourself in. And I am so grateful for Alan Reed for for giving me that advice because from that point, I had so many friends. I have so many friends who sign Canadian record deals and then they cannot, and then they come down to the States to try to sign deals and nobody wants to sign them Can't because they have to pay a whole bunch of people and pieces of the pie are already taken up when record labels down here in the States have lines of really talented artists waiting outside their door to get deals. And so in hindsight, I'm so grateful for it because at the time I thought my life was over and really he just gave me a huge gift. Like I went down to LA and wrote songs for about six months. And then somebody was like, Hey Lens, you should check out Nashville. Like, I think you'd really like it. And, um, and yeah, I bought a plane ticket and showed up with my guitar. And so, what year was that? Okay, so that was we're in 2020. That was 2010 wow. when I first came to Nashville, and I knew nobody. I um, was obviously Canadian, so I couldn't make money in right. the states. I didn't have a visa at that point. I I, I just had a guitar, and so I um, for the longest time I would I was going to school. Um, I was waiting tables. Did you go to Belmont? Um, I went to, I was at Bishop Carroll and I went to University of Calgary taking a business degree. I was like super nerdy. I was like valedictorian. I graduated high school year early, went into university for a couple years and then dropped out of university (laughs) and was like, mom and dad, I want to go do music. But (laughs) so you can imagine imagine how well that conversation went. But, um, but right around that time I was juggling school. I was juggling a job. I was playing gigs on the weekend just to make enough money to buy a plane ticket down to Nashville where I could go write songs. And, um, sure. Like I knew nobody in town. Like I knew like one person's name on a piece of paper that I got from my friend in LA and, other than that, I was just trying to meet people. So I would book what they call in town triples, mm-hmm. which is a songwriter. You write a song from like 10 to 1, 2 to 6, 7 to 9, and then I'd go to writer's rounds at night. And so I would write three songs in a day, which now you couldn't, like, the I never want to write triples a day. It's just so much. Right, right. But, um, but I was just trying to meet and trying to write, and I was just being a sponge, trying to absorb it all. And then I'd go to writer's rounds at night, and and watch these incredible songwriters play these songs. And then I'd go up to them after the show and be like, hi, my name's Lindsay. Will you write a song with me? Really? And it's just how I was like, well, I got to figure this out. And now's as good a time as any. And I just have to meet people. So I literally just one by one met songwriters. And I do that for about two weeks. And then that's all the mo- what I could afford. And so I'd fly back to Calgary where I'd wait more tables and I'd play shows on the weekend and I was like rescheduling midterms to try to like work through my business degree at the time. And, um, and so I went back and forth for about a year and a half and it was chaotic and crazy. So did John Loba sign you? Was he the guy who signed you to your first So Benny deal? Brown and John Loba. John was still working at, um, the label then, but, um, but yeah, Broken Bow, yeah. Benny Brown was the head of Broken Bow at the time. And, and John was his right hand man. And, um, and yeah, they signed me. That's exciting. You know, we ago. touched on, um, you know, in previous podcasts, we've touched on the Canadian artist who is, uh, not, come to Nashville and got a yeah. U.S. deal. And unfortunately, you know, uh, there's a lot of them who kind of just, you know, have great success in Canada 
and the international success is the stymied. And it's kind of a thing that I've been trying to work on the international committee with the CMA, to, but yeah, it's a tough battle. And, you, tough battle. and you summed it up. I think you've been the first artist who actually mm -hmm. summed up and really understands how that was. And I mean, you look at all of the Canadian artists that we'll call Canadian artists like Terry Clark, Shania, yeah. Lindsay Al, all came to America to get their record deal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and we can talk about great artists like Michelle Wright. We can talk about uh, Patricia Conroy. It's a great songwriter. Absolutely. But, but never had the ability to be able to make a record in America that worked because of her Canadian record deals. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's kind of a tragedy in a sense, you know. It's kind of a tragedy. And yet, at the same time, it's just about looking at it in a different way. Right. Um, I mean, I love so many of the Canadian labels. And the funny part about it is... That initial, when I was like taking meetings with Randy, I met a guy by the name of Warren Kopnick who works at Sony Music in Canada. And um, that wasn't the place I ended up being offered a, a deal at. Um, but I, I was so close to working with Warren like years before when I was taking meetings with Randy Bachman in Toronto. And fast forward, I signed my record deal in Nashville. And... I ended up working with Warren because he was the Canadian side of our team. So and so rep, yeah. at the end of the day, I ended up working with the same people. I just kind of did it a different it's way. It's just reversed. It's reversed. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's interesting and how it really does work that way. Yeah. It's, it's, I have a BTO story. So Please. Uh, when I was a young kid, uh, I was like nine years old. I saw Bachman Turner Overdrive <laughs> and the opening act was, uh, Charlie Daniels was the first support act. The second support act was Bob Seger. Amazing. And I got into a conversation with David Corley, who managed Charlie up until his passing. And David said, yeah, that was in a Regina, Saskatchewan. And that was the last show that Charlie did on the tour because he was misbilled. And, and he, the Canadian audience wasn't getting Charlie Daniels. Yeah. So that would have been like 1975 when Bachman Turner Overdrive were the biggest band in the world at That's that time. Amazing. And it was so interesting you know, fast forward four or five years, Charlie Daniels comes out in 1979 when Devil Went Down to Georgia Damn. and has a number one. Yeah. And he's doing arenas. Massive. You know, so it's kind of interesting. It's a story of never letting up, never quitting. You know. It's so true. And there's so many stories like that. Like, that's so cool, True, I love that story. I mean, Little Big Town, I've talked to them a number of like just backstage playing festivals or whatever, hanging out. And they're on their like fourth record deal or something like, and they're some of the sweetest human beings on beautiful the planet. People. Like yeah, they're so down to earth and just such beautiful people. Yeah. But, um, but they are uh, an example of just resilience and of just keeping at it. Like keep going. If you love this as much as, as what it really takes, then you just keep doing your thing. And eventually you find the way eventually you release devil went down to Georgia and it, takes over the world <laughs> you know it's interesting how we've all committed our our lives to show business and and the artist is always the one that the audience sees and there's mm -hmm. so many other people behind the scenes who you know have given careers in this business you know and totally. and those you know those are the ones who are really suffering right now and uh, we're trying to help everyone's trying to help them out and hopefully that we're getting past it right now but yeah. um those guys uh, need a lot of help you know everyone forgets that you know how do you get the gear to the gig as a truck driver how do you I get know. how do you get your band to the gig or in yourself it's a bus driver you know and and those are the guys who are out of work right now i mean it's I, so people don't true. really understand how decimated show business is right now they don't really understand and when you when you take a look at i mean sometimes you've seen 
um, the bigger tours like post pictures of their crew at the end of a tour or whatever. And you see 200 people on stage. Like you don't really, as a fan going to a show, you don't really understand that the number of human beings behind that stage making that whole thing happen. I mean, the same with every single show you put on, you have like an incredible and enormous team doing so much to, to help keep greasing the wheels and, and making them work. And yeah, I, I mean, to my own band and crew and to all my friends, bands and crews, um, they have been definitely feeling this year in, in completely different ways. I mean, my, my band, like my front of house was like, well, I guess this summer I'm going to go clean pools. And, um, you know, I think, I think Carly Pierce's band like started a landscaping company. Like they're just all like, well, we got to figure it out. I have a question for you. So Metallica was your first concert. Yes. Good job in knowing that. Um, yeah, Metallica was my first concert. I went with a friend of mine from school and his dad, um, was an engineer. So had like one of the boxes, like, and I was just like, wow, I get to go to a box. In was my it in first Calgary? Concert. It was in Calgary at the Saddledome. And the, the pot smoke was so thick <laughs> in the Saddledome that I couldn't even see the stage. And I was like, is every concert like this? Like, I think it was 10 at the time. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like what goes on at concerts? This is insane. And then my second show was Terry Clark and it was much different than the Metallica concert. So I got the good full spectrum. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've worked with Metallica since 1994. No way. Yeah, they're, they're probably, you know, that's a band that just keeps on ticking. And I mean, they're creative and they're, it was funny that uh, one day uh, I heard a conversation about classic rock and they definitely don't fall into that category. But, no. you know, it was kind of like, you know, even ACDC's kind of like a classic rock act totally. now. This band has stayed relevant. So, anyways, I just wanted to bring yeah. that up because. They're doing their thing this coming Saturday for a fundraiser, um, yeah. uh, make a wish. And, uh, anyways, so I, I love that you've worked with them since 94. So probably the show I saw, you were working with them yeah, at the time. I, we would have been. Yeah. That's so, so crazy. The musicality of Metallica as a guitar nerd is so inspiring to me. I mean, I'm so grateful that that was like my first live music experience. Cause it's just like, wow. Like the depth of what goes into their shows is just incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, I think James Hetfield's probably one of the best rhythm players that they're, Honestly. they're I mean, Keith Richards and James mm. Hetfield. I mean, they're, they're, they're special. You they're know? very special. Um, and that you know, leads us into the next little discussion that I want to take you down the road on is, I think the lines are being blurred now in music, which is a good thing, at least in my opinion. And I think that you're seeing a lot of crossover stuff. See, Luke, I mean, Luke Combs right now is on, has two songs in the top 10 in Australia on a pop, on a pop, a pop, well, a non genre radio chart, right? Mm -hmm. Where do you see it? You've, you've tasted the international waters. Where do you see country music in 10 years from now? I'm so excited about the future of country music because, you know, we've seen artists come into the format even in the past five years that have really expanded the potential of what country music is and and fans who don't normally listen to country music. They're like, oh, I don't like country music, but I like Marin Morris. And it's like, okay, well, that's that's country music. Or when Sam Hunt came on the scene, well, I don't like country music, but I like Sam Hunt. And I think 
you have artists like that who are on, you know, one side of the spectrum. And then you have more traditional artists like John party who make traditional country cool from like a young demographic perspective. And so being able to invite new listeners into the format to be like country music is all of these things. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. And internationally, you know, it's, it's in Australia, country music is the cool thing. Like it is not saying that it's not cool here, but it is like the cutting edge, like cool thing. And so it's been interesting to watch country music develop, you know, in, in the UK country is still this niche format and genre that the fans who love it are so into it and dedicated, which is why going over to play shows there is, is so special, but, um, but it's slowly growing and you see like streaming numbers for country music in the UK have like doubled this year. Like it's insane, like watching them grow so fast. And so I'm very excited about one, the education of what country music really is to a lot of the world who haven't listened to country music before, even haven't welcomed it into, into what they listen to. And I'm just so excited about like being able to tour and, and play shows and, and, you know, see more country music festivals pop up, like watching C2C grow as a brand all over Europe and how it's, it's gone from just being in London at the O2 to now having Berlin and Amsterdam and Dublin and Glasgow. And it's incredible. Like it, it's really spreading and it's so contagiously like optimistic. I'm a fall too far too fast I'm a hug that lets go last I'm a heart with good intent that's still a complicated mess I'm a say what's on my mind At the right at the wrong time So here I go First time I met you, it was uh, in Las Vegas and I think we were going to a party at your agent's agency yeah yeah, yeah. and and it was funny because uh i'm originally from canada and it was like hey lindsay you gotta meet another canadian the agent says i think it was rob acker that's right you gotta meet another canadian lindsay i go oh hey lindsay nice to meet you where are you from she goes i'm from calgary i go i'm from regina oh my god my family's from regina my family's from regina yeah so then we find out that we your grandfather, when he retired from, he ran the the Soft Sea Theater in yeah. in Regina. That when he retired, he came to work for me while I was still playing hockey. Just so and crazy. it was like we had this whole bonding moment in like about ten minutes. It was yes. so so bizarre. And it was so, so bizarre, and the world works in such crazy ways. But the fact that you were able to work with my grandpa in in such a, a special way, and I'm like probably saying off the record things right now, but Troy is one of the kindest human beings that you're ever going to meet in this industry. I mean, partly probably because he is Canadian and he's just so wonderful, but he just like truly cares about his job. I'm talking about this, like you're not sitting right in front of me, but you truly care. And it's really hard and difficult to find people who, who are such fans of music like you are and who truly care about every single a human being who works with you. I'm blushing. And well, good Thank blush, <laughs> blush away. Um, and it's just, it's such a pleasure to work with you. And, um, I love playing your shows and I just, um, I'm really grateful to be able to, to do shows with you, but you gave me one of the nicest presents that somebody has given me in a long time. And so Troy found my grandpa's business card from the center of the arts as I'm like choking up. Um, and you framed it. And this is one of the the 
sweetest gifts. I lost my grandpa a few years ago, and um, and so this means so much to me. It's good to sit in my studio. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. And he was a brilliant man. What a piano player he was. What a piano <clears throat> player. I mean, he was the reason why my brother and I started on piano. Um, both when we were six years old, my mom played piano. Everybody, my mom has four brothers and sisters. Everybody in the family plays piano. Yeah, it and, was um, unbelievable. Yeah, he was, he was a great player. He's an incredible musician. Great man, true gentleman. Mm-hmm. He was amazing. And it was funny because he came back uh, from that fair convention in Las Vegas and we, he, he had, he had, he had landed like four different gigs for us. Well, one was a P&E in Vancouver, the Medicine Hat Stampede. It, it was awesome. You can't be too far gone. Cause what happens in a small town stays in a small town. Every man wrote, we've ever gone down. Friday night bleachers, Sunday pews. Ain't a county line mile without a memory. You every whisper, every room. I won't get every time the ball fills it up again everybody knows why i'm here and you ain't around it was country thunder alberta calgary and we had an all-female night the first time we've ever done yes. that and and Lindsay was part of it megan patrick mm-hmm. uh not tanya terry tucker. clark was terry clark there no i don't think terry clark was there. i Ta- wish terry clark was tanya there, but tanya tucker, tanya tucker. Tanya tucker. Miranda and Miranda Lambert. Lambert. Yeah. And so after we all kind of got our picture taken and Tanya goes, where's the vodka? And I go, well, on my bus, let's go. So she heads straight to the bus and I look at Lindsay and Megan Patrick. Megan Patrick th- thinks she's a redneck and, and I like to t- agree with her. So Megan's a agreed, redneck, right? Agreed. I love her Lindsay, so much. Lindsay, you're not a redneck. And I'm like, all right, I'm if you not. guys want to see something that is uh, really uh, interesting, come on, let's go. Yeah. So we sat on my bus and, and Tanya started telling stories that were probably the most interesting stories I've ever heard coming from the mouth. Like from Troy, Troy, it was right? crazy. Like just being in the presence of that woman and she has like no filter and yet she just has this like energy around her. And yes, yeah, some of the stories of you think you're like listening to the Grand Ole Opry, like, like historic um, recollection of like all of these, these legends. Well, she, she talks was, about Elvis, like, like, Elvis was just a guy, you know, like yeah. Elvis is the king of rock and roll, right? I mean, 100%. Elvis is guy, you know, a music god, right? She's like Elvis. And we're like, what? <laughs> she's lived such a beautiful life and, and is incredible that, you know, she's still playing shows and that was a magical night for sure. And you know, it's ironic. Cause I mean, just to touch on Tanya for a second, it's like, she's had so much success, you know, um, I know Brandy Carlisle has championed yeah, her career, but there's a resurrection of Tanya's career. And, I just, I'm, I'm just amazed. I, I so appreciate the history of our business and where we've come mm-hmm. from and artists who carry the torch through different generations and, and she can still do it and she's fantastic. And I just thought that night, and there's one thing that cracked me up. So we had a bunch of hockey players on the bus that night yeah. and she goes, all right, guys. So how many guys have your teeth? And we all go, well, we all have our teeth still. She goes, well, I don't have mine because Glenn Campbell punched them out. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> 
It was a great night, though. And also, I remember, like, we were drinking some wine, me, you, and Megan. We were, like, in a conversation talking about something. And then we look over, and the gentleman sitting next to Tanya has his shirt off. And it was like, what just happened? Like, he's he's just sitting there with his shirt off, and she's like... He's a good-looking man right there. It's just like Tanya Tucker. God bless, like, that woman. And, you know, I, I just want to end on this note. I, you are probably one of the most exciting artists right now to watch. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, our listeners, um, if you get a chance to see Lindsay L coming up in 2021, it's a must-see. Make sure you get out there and see her. Uh, your career is definitely on the trajectory of monster strides and i really think that uh in a year from now we're gonna be talking and you're gonna have an accolades of trophies and <laughs> awards and i truly believe that i mean you already have the number one that you got with brantley gilbert which is fantastic Thank congratulations you. on that and the number one in canada yeah. i mean and great like great music i mean your music is different than other people's and uh, other artists and i think your creativity is off the charts and, and i'm just a Plus, you're a beautiful person, and I love you, and thanks for being here today. Now you're making me blush. And Well, it's true, though. It is, because, you know, very seldom you, you find somebody who, who you really, really connect with, and I mean, okay. on all levels, and thank you so much for being my friend, and it's thank great. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being able to create such incredible stages that, as an artist, I mean... We play a lot of festivals and a lot of shows, and um, yours are truly special. Like whenever I see that coming up on my calendar, I'm like, "That's gonna be a really, really good day." And and um, I, you just have this way of creating an environment where fans feel like they're part of it, you know. And I, it's a really bad way of explaining it, I guess. But when when a fan walks in. They just feel like they're in this living room, like this extended yep. living room in the middle of like a field or something. Yep. But just the way you light it, the way you organize how a, an audience like looks at the stage, it's just, it's, it's truly special. Well, the bus is rolling to a stop. Thank you so much to our guests this weekend. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t